0: in OBC. How are you guys doing this morning? morning. It was a beautiful time to worship this morning uh, and just be here back again with you guys. We've had the privilege of being here a few times now. Last time we're here was missions week. Um, We had a five-week-old baby that we put on a plane, which everyone told us we were crazy. And it was pretty crazy. He did amazing. Your church family loved on him while he was here and made it possible for us uh, to be able to go nonstop during missions week. So... Um, he's at home with grandma, so if you see my wife Alex who's saying, we, we've left him for seven days back in Missouri. So this is the first time. He's like right at six months almost, so that was a big deal. Uh, we both cried when we left, but um, we're thankful that we do have family uh, in our lives that we're able to just trust them with and be there for that. So um, it is an honor and it is a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you who are new or don't know. Uh, My wife and I, Alex, uh, we do a ministry in Missouri called Freeway Ministries. It's a recovery ministry. Um, We reach the hard to reach with the gospel of Christ. Uh, We deal with people with uh, addiction, coming out of prison, coming out of uh, homelessness. We deal with people that grew up in a great uh, Christian home but then got into drugs later in life. Uh, And we believe the restoration through all of that is one thing, it's salvation and then discipleship is recovery. That's what we believe. And being part of a local church, because Freeway Ministries does not exist without the local church and it's so important. So um, we're we're honored to be here. Um, With that ministry you can understand that we deal with a lot of sorrow. We deal with a lot of brokenness and sorrow and people that have spent their whole life just, it's just been one big ball of sorrow it feels like. But I want you to know, and I know you can sit here and testify to this, sorrow isn't just for those people or that type of people group or that demographic. Everybody in here has experienced sorrow, whether you're a new Christian or whether you're a mature Christian, whether you've grown up in church your whole life, or whether this is your first time in church, you're just getting in church your first time. Um, You've had a season of sorrow, and it looks different for everyone. Maybe that's your marriage. Maybe that's your marriage falling apart. Maybe your marriage just fell apart. Maybe that's your relationships at home with, with your family, with your kids. Maybe you're going through a time of sorrow with, with a job loss in our economy and everything that's going on in our country right now. It, it can look so many um, different ways. Sorrow, but what we get to see is how the scripture addresses sorrow. How Jesus specifically talks to the disciples about sorrow and how he can take that sorrow and he doesn't tell them, hey, go around that, try to avoid it, navigate around that sorrow. But he says, let me take you through the sorrow and let me transform that sorrow into joy. A a way that you can live through it, a way that you can be stronger through it. And it's going through the sorrow that you experience that joy, which us, human instinct, we want to navigate around it. I mean, we don't want to go through that. No one naturally wants to go through those times or hard times or those seasons. Uh, Pastor Dustin, in prayer this morning, um, he, he talked about how the sorrow, it's in going and transforming into joy. Joy isn't just like this the state of mind where we're in. Like the joy is a real person. It's through the Holy Spirit that we experience this joy. It's not just saying, oh, we'll be joyful, you know, be, um, experience peace and kindness and all that. It's a real thing that we can live in. But if we try to address sorrow like the world tells us to, it's going to be temporary. It's not going to be constant it's gonna go away, it's gonna drift away. So we're gonna look at John chapter 16 today and we're gonna be in verses 16 through 33 and we're gonna look at uh, this discussion with Jesus as he's talking to the disciples with that. First I wanna tell you about some sorrow that probably one of the worst experiences that a, a, a mother, a wife, a son could go through, experience just horrible sorrow about these people in ministry in Columbia. This happened in September of 2009, so about 13 years ago now. There was a group of armed Colombian guerrillas that made an appointment with Pastor Manio and his family. He thought they were gonna authorize them to have an official church. This is what they've been pulling for this whole time, to be approved by by these people that kind of ran this area and this village to let them do ministry full-time and not have to do it in secret anymore, which is what he had previously been discussing with them. One of them went into the house with the pastor's wife. Her name was Gloria and his daughter. They kept them in the house And then they brought Pastor Emmanuel out. They shot the pastor five times. The gorilla who was in the house with the rest of the family yelled, make sure that dog stays dead, talking about the pastor. So that man then shot the pastor again, this time in the neck, making sure he was dead. Right after shooting, they took off and left. Gloria, the pastor's wife, then runs out, grabs his body, pulls it under a tree in the front yard, stops, starts wiping the blood off of his face. Then with the help of her children, they sat him up against the tree. She then ran back inside and grabbed her Bible and came back out to the tree where her husband lay dead. Shaking with tears, barely able to talk, it wasn't of her, blood all over her hands. She started reading the Bible and she preached to those who witnessed it that were there in that village. Her 10 year old son said, mom, don't worry. Dad died for Christ and now he is with Christ. A 10 year old can't naturally say that of his own. There's no way. Pastor Manuel and his wife had been pastoring that church in Chopal Village in Colombia for about eight years. They weren't new to this area. They built a lot of relationships there. They faced numerous challenges. Many of the churches in the area, they'd been closed by the Colombian guerrillas. Pastor Manuel decided to open the church regardless of the threats, regardless of the risk. In April of 2009, the pastor was part of this huge evangelistic event that they threw in that area. Three of those armed soldiers got saved during that. Seven members of the paramilitary militia accepted Christ during that event. Amen, indeed. Listen, the pastor's wife and kids were able to have joy. They were able to have assurance in the middle of one of the most horrible things that they've probably ever experienced or will ever experience. Why? The only reason why was because she was able to pick up the Bible and start sharing Scripture. The only reason her son was able to say, don't worry, Mom. Dad died for Christ, and now he's with Christ. is because their hope, because their faith, their trust, their assurance, it was rooted in Christ. It wasn't in their circumstances. It wasn't what just took place. It wasn't in their safety. It wasn't in the world. It was in Christ. So this morning at OBC, we're going to talk about, in the middle of this Sorrow in the middle of these tribulations that we go through, regardless of our circumstances, we're going to look at how a true disciple of Christ can find true joy. Not just temporary, but a lasting joy, an enduring joy in Jesus as we live out and share the gospel. So, as we go into this section of scripture that we're going to read this morning, this is closing out the upper room discussion that Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. And Jesus deals with the emotions of the disciples. And I love the fact that he's dealing with their emotions because it's very real. It's not like these people that were, these super Christians are put on the pedestal, they're struggling with stuff that we still struggle with today. The realness of it, the genuineness of it, what human hearts and minds and emotions struggle with, Jesus is addressing it right here. So if you'll read with me. Chapter 16, Gospel of John, verses 16 through 33. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that you that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? Verse 18. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will, not my, he says, your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you whatever you ask in the Father of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Verse 25, this last section. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This morning, I just want you guys to be honest with yourself. I want you to let down guards. I want you to be real as we walk through this passage. If you're sitting in this room today, chances are you've never had a machete put to your throat, you've never had somebody put a gun to your forehead, standing in front of you because of the fact that you followed Jesus, uh, because of the fact that you were witnessing on the street or sitting in church or gathering together for a Bible study. You've never had your life threatened because you call yourself a Christian. But if that were the case, if that were the case and you were in that moment, in that scenario, how would you respond? How would you respond if you knew you would face physical attacks, physical harm to you, your loved ones, your family, because of your faith in Jesus Christ? This is exactly what the disciples are facing. At the beginning of the chapter, John, he's telling them, listen, these people are gonna come after you and they're gonna try to kill you. And when they try to kill you, they're gonna think they're doing it for the righteousness of God. Like he's telling them these things are what's about to happen. Jesus tells the disciples from here on out that persecution, execution, this is what they will be facing. It's not a might. He says they will be facing. Jesus tells them that these people are going to kick them out of the synagogues. They're going to try to kill them. Again, they're going to think that they're serving God. They're going to think that they're carrying out God's righteousness during this time. And Jesus is trying to prepare the disciples for what is about to come, what they're about to walk through, this sorrow that they're about to experience. There is going to be few. He says, if any days when you feel safe, this isn't about your safety or your comfort, Jesus tells them. Literally any day, any time, morning or middle of the night could be the time that they're arrested, that they're killed for their belief in Christ, for them following Christ. And if you continue to read the rest of John, when you look at the other gospels as well, you see that they've all faced and went through severe physical persecution. All of them, but one died a martyr. So what would you do? After hearing that, would you live the rest of your life in fear? Would you live the rest of your life in hiding, knowing that these people are coming after you? Would you be mad? Would you be unhappy? Would you be shaking your fist at Jesus? Listen, you told me to follow you. I left everything. I left my family, I left my home, I left my job. You told me to follow you, to trust you. Look what you got me into. Think about it, for the disciples willing to choose that life, everything that they walked away from, for the world to look at that, it would be deemed as careless, as reckless, as it wouldn't make sense. It would be crazy, at least from human perspective it would be. What would make the most sense in that scenario when you found out that imminent danger was coming after you would be to hide, to tuck tail and run. Say, listen, we didn't sign up for this, but they didn't do that. What they did do is find joy in a time of sorrow. They found joy and hope in the middle of their persecution. What they did do is this group of men turned the world upside down and shook the gates of hell for Christ. They found joy and hope and peace while they were doing it too. They weren't miserable. Listen, regardless of the death sentences that they had hanging over their heads, regardless of their circumstances, please don't miss this. That same joy that they had is available to you this morning. That same hope is available to you this morning. It hasn't changed over 2,000 years later. To have peace in a time when it doesn't make sense to have peace is available to you in the middle of whatever you're going through sitting here this morning, there's all different backgrounds, there's all different walks of life here, there's all different ages here. Whatever it is, that is available to you. Just as it can make a difference in your life this morning, it made a difference in the lives of these disciples. If you look at verses 20 and 21, Jesus is trying to get them to understand, listen, this sorrow, it's only for a short time. It's only for a short season. I love and I respect how Jesus, he's straightforward though. He puts everything right there out in front street. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to dress it up to make it not look as dangerous, to make it look not as bad. So it's easier to hear. This is a clear testimony to how opposite what we have flooding our culture right now with this prosperity gospel. This is just name it, claim it gospel. This is a testimony how different it is, how opposite of this. He's telling them, listen, this harm to your life is going to come. It will come. But people have this, especially in North American Christianity, how um, this is completely opposite of following Jesus. Everything's supposed to work out in your favor if you follow Jesus. All your bad problems are supposed to be fixed if you follow Jesus. You're not supposed to experience sorrow. During a high school retreat, I asked the kids, uh, and there wasn't a whole lot, but I said, hey, any of you guys listen to country music? because we always have this false perception of Christianity, and I've said this before, we talk about it freeway, is raise your hand if you listen to country music. Not very many in here, a handful. Okay, well, 10-second rundown. If you don't listen to country music, it used to talk about my wife left me, my girlfriend left me, my dog died, I lost my house. And people think, okay, well, if I say yes to Jesus, it's a country music song played backwards. Where I get my wife back, I get my dog back, I get my car back, I get my house back. And you just say yes, and everything's fixed. That's not true. Jesus says, look, what they're about to run through. Some of the people that were closest to Jesus, three years they spent by his side doing ministry and what they're about to face. And he's warning them, he's telling them, and they're sticking by his side. And he addresses that. He says, I know this is gonna be hard. And as we read this, we might think, listen, this isn't the best halftime pep talk, but he's saying, listen, you're gonna cry you're gonna have grief, you are gonna have sorrow. Actually, not only are you going to weep and lament, but when you're doing so, these people, the world, these lost, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna rejoice during this time. So the people who oppose God and reject Jesus, they're gonna be the ones that experience joy while the disciples are weeping and lamenting. But Jesus is being honest with them. He's giving them the truth like he always has. And he also follows that truth though with this, a beautiful, beautiful promise. He tells them that the tables are gonna turn quickly. He tells them that that sorrow will turn into joy. He says, listen, the sorrow is only for a short time, but the joy will remain. It will be constant, just like he is. Jesus is showing us that sorrow and joy, they're connected. Sorrow and joy are connected. Did you know that? Our greatest joys are usually found following our deepest moments of sadness. Our trust usually always grows when we go through those bad times in life, those brokenness, those trials, those storms, when we come out on the other side, that, that is when we grow close, closer to Christ, our faith grows, it increases, our trust grows. There's a purpose for those sorrows. God has a purpose for those sorrows that you're going through right now or have gone through. Some of you are sitting in this room and you've just came out of a season of sorrow and you're praising God because you can testify. You wanna hop up right now and say, amen, I can testify to that. Some of you are sitting in here and you're in the middle of the sorrows and it doesn't feel like there's any hope. It doesn't feel like there's gonna be peace at the end or joy at the end, but I'm telling you, God's word says so. And that's what you can trust in, not me, the word of God. Haven't you ever heard the light shines brightest after the storm? There's truth to that. Sorrow and joy are not just two random emotions that happen to appear in this order. The sorrow must take place if the joy is to come. There's no skipping sorrow to get to the joy. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, Josh, all I've experienced in my life is sorrow. My life has been one big ball of sorrow. There's never once been joy that has followed. Then I'd answer by telling you that is because you're trying to find your joy in the world and not Christ. Because that is the difference maker here. It's finding your joy in Christ and not the world which is completely foreign to what this time, what social media, and what this world tells us to. It's saying, no, turn to us, we have the answers. Verse 21, and it goes on, if you look at that, he he gives this picture of um, a, a woman in labor and how that sorrow is transformed into joy once that baby is delivered. My wife had a really, really rough first trimester as well as rough, rough labor, as you can imagine, is really rough for me too. I watched her every day for three months be sick. I don't know why they called it morning sickness. It was all day, every day sickness. It didn't matter what we did. It was trying something new every day and I felt so bad because there was absolutely nothing I could do for her. It was really rough and they say that for some women that you just gotta get past that first trimester then everything else is okay. Some women are sick during the whole entire pregnancy, the whole entire nine months. Don't you think a lot of women would like to just skip to that kind of little fun baby bump stage and then go right from that to uh, the delivery or right after the delivery and not have to go through that labor because the labor was really hard and scary. I had a nurse yelling at me to get on the call page button and call a nurse and they didn't come quick enough and she says, open the door, go yell for them down the hallway. That was a time of sorrow for us. It was scary. I was questioning the circumstances because everything was focused on my circumstances during that time. My guard was down and I know it's easy. I need this for myself too. I'm not just preaching this at you guys. You don't think someone women just love to skip those nine months, but it doesn't work like that. You don't get the precious child without the morning sickness. You don't get the precious child without the extreme exhaustion, the nausea, the dizziness. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to paint, not just for his disciples, but also for us, as we're reading this this morning. That we can't experience the joy without experiencing the sorrow. Here's what we can take away. It's that God brings joy to our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. The same baby that caused the pain also caused that joy just moments later. When a woman is giving birth, God does not substitute something else to relieve the mother's pain. Instead, he uses what is there already, but he transforms it. He uses what's there already, but he transforms it. I read this illustration as I was uh, studying, and it was about a parent and an upset child, and he gave two examples. One, if the child has a broken toy, um, what's a parent do? Or um, if a child has a play date that day. Play date goes home, but the child isn't ready for the play date to go home. Maybe some of you uh, can experience that or testify to that. And what it addresses is it says, listen, if the mother always gets a new toy for the child each time a toy is broken, that child will grow up expecting every problem to be solved by substitution. If the mother always calls another playmate and invites them over, the child will grow up expecting people to come to their rescue whenever there's a crisis. This is no different than loved ones of an addict, what we deal with at Freeway Ministries. Whether it's your Son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, grandparents in the room, your grandkids that you're walking through this with. You get that phone call saying, I need money for rent. I don't have anywhere to go tonight. I don't have any food in my fridge. I need you to bail me out of jail. I can't stay here. I'm worried for my life, my safety. I have nowhere to go. And you keep doing those things for them. You keep running to the rescue every time they put themselves in those situations. And listen, I understand that's your baby boy, that's your baby girl, that's your wife, that's your husband. I understand it's hard. That's one of the hardest things that we have to deal and navigate through through Freeway Ministries is letting them, listen, if you keep doing this, what you're doing is enabling that loved one. Addiction's hard because it does, doesn't affect the addict. It affects the whole family and everybody involved. I did that to my mom, my aunt, and my grandmother, the three women that raised me. I didn't need a bondsman. I'd call them every time I went to jail. They'd be there like that. I called my grandma, Nanny. I said, Nanny, you know, I need some food. She's like, okay, well, I'll go get you some food. like, Nanny, you know, I'm really picky. I'd just rather have the money. That way you don't get me anything wrong instead. And I was just lying and manipulating the whole time. You're doing the same thing. When you're going to their rescue, you're enabling them to keep continuing in their addiction. You're coming to their rescue. You're allowing them to go further and further in their addiction. They're smart. They know what they're doing. They know you're going to keep bailing them out every time. They know you're going to keep rescuing them every time. So why would they change? Why would they have any reason to change when they can continue in this? Please don't miss this. The way of substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. The way of substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. When you try to run from it, navigate around it, and not walk through it. Because God has a purpose for that. As bad as it can be, God has a purpose for it. When we choose the way of transformation, that is the path of faith. That is the path of maturity. When we choose transformation, that is when we grow. And that's when God does something that we are not able to do. We cannot do or muster up on our own effort. We cannot mature emotionally or spiritually. If someone keeps bailing us out every time, we cannot grow in our walk with Christ or our obedience to him. If someone comes to our rescue every time, we cannot grow if someone is always replacing our broken toys. Jesus didn't say that the mother's pain was replaced by joy. Listen, he says, Jesus says the sorrow was transferred into joy. The same baby that caused those miserable nine months in that horrible first trimester also caused us the joy the second he was born. And we were both just bawling in that delivery room. He's the same baby that made us cry before we left and came to Orlando. My wife's like, I don't want to go inside. I don't want everybody to see me crying as we drop him off. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go in first. I'll just tell him, hey, don't surround her. I'll, I'll give him a heads up. So I go in, I shut the door to the truck, and I get ready to take him inside, and I just start bawling. I'm like, great, this is the point. I said. Like, Alex, you might as well just come on now. He's that same sorrow that was turned into joy for us. If you're listening to the sound of my voice this morning, that's what I want you to understand. God takes these impossible situations in our lives, these impossible situations that we feel we're in that are impossible, and he gives us his grace. He transforms that trial into triumph. He takes our sorrow, he turns it into joy. He takes messes and turns them into masterpieces. He takes those that once lived in darkness and makes them alive, and now they are children of the light products of grace I'm a walking product of grace listen I should be dead or in prison but I get to be preaching God's word this morning in Orlando Florida there's some of you that are sitting here that have never seen drugs or done drugs or or came from a background of addiction you've grown up in church you had a family that loved you you have a testimony of getting saved in sixth grade at church camp guess what your testimony is just as powerful because you are still a product of grace So don't you dare let Satan lie to you and say, I just don't have a testimony that's as powerful as that. I didn't come from that background. You're still called to share that because guess what? You're going to reach somebody that can't relate to my background, that can't relate to my testimony with that. You are a product of grace. And if you don't have the testimony, understand that we only have this available to us because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. The sorrow of them having to watch as Jesus, this, this man they gave everything for, the Messiah, as he was beaten in front of them, as he was bruised, literally hanging lifeless on a cross. It's them seeing his disfigured body taken down from that cross as his disciples stood there in sorrow. The sorrow is watching the Messiah die, watching him be murdered. This is what Jesus is trying to warn them about. They will weep, they will lament his death while the world rejoices because he's gone. But, but the sorrow of his death is necessary. It's necessary because his death is the only way for mankind to be saved. It is the only way for salvation to be brought and made available to the world. Without his death, there can be no life. The sorrow of his death is necessary, but it is only short-lived, amen? It is only short-lived. That is what the little while means, Jesus keeps saying it over and over again. The disciples didn't understand it though. The reason the sorrow will only be for a little while is because Jesus defeats the grave. Jesus will rise from the dead and appear to them. Their sorrow, their crying, their lamenting, it's gonna turn into shouting and celebration and joy. It's gonna turn into running and telling the closest person they know, guess what, I just saw Jesus, he's back. Could you imagine that, physically being there? Oh, listen, the disciples' sorrow is real, it is. This isn't just some allegory he's trying to talk to us about to make us feel good. But just like after the baby is born, it becomes a distant memory once you're holding that precious child in your arms. For the disciples, it becomes a, different, a distant memory the moment Jesus appears to them having conquered death. The joy that Jesus gives us, the joy that Jesus gives his disciples can never be taken away. And that's something that we can still hold on to now. It can never be taken away. No one can ever rob that from you if it is rooted in Christ. If it's rooted in Christ and not your... Self will. It, if it's rooted in Christ and not your own strength, not your circumstances, not your safety. That is the promise from Jesus. In verse 22, when he says no one, Jesus means no one. Listen, you can lose all your money in a bad housing market or stock market or, or have your possessions burn up in a house fire. And maybe some of you experience that. Your health, your loved ones. Death can take those family and friends away. We've been in a season of a couple years of experience, a lot of losses in families because of death and illness. Don't let that steal your joy. If we're being honest, sometimes people can just be mean. They can be hateful. Some of you have friends or family members, they're just negative Nancys all the time. seems like their spiritual gift is just complaining. That's all you're around. They're going to just find something to complain about. And they can do these things with the intention to others to steal somebody else's joy. Like, listen, if I'm gonna be miserable, then they're gonna be miserable too. Sometimes we do that in our intense fellowship. That's what we call our argument, is intense fellowship. And I'm mad and angry, I'm like, well, Alex, if I'm mad and angry, then you're gonna be mad and angry too. She says, listen, you're being a real thief of joy right now. I just want you to know that, and it is. It's so easy to turn to my flesh and my circumstances in those times, so I get it. But you have to intentionally dig in the word of God in prayer and realize that that joy, God can use that. That time that is miserable, that sorrow, those trials, he can transform that, not substitute it, not take it out somewhere else, not turn to the world's devices on those things, but transform it into true, everlasting joy when you hold on to those promises of God. That happens when you realize that your joy comes from Him. Knowing He conquered death, no amount of torture the disciples realized, no amount of persecution the disciples realized could ever change that. But what if the disciples put finding joy in something else? Or when we try to find joy in something else, our jobs, our success, our bank account, how big our house is, those things aren't inherently bad at all. There's nothing wrong with that, being successful or having a good job, having a nice house. But when that is what gives you joy and that is what dictates your joy, that's a dangerous place to be because those things will never last. They won't. Our joy can be taken when it's like that. All those things will let you down. None of those things are permanent, but Jesus is. When our joy is found in Jesus, when it's found in his victory over sin and death, then these joy snatchers in your life will have no effect, absolutely none. If you ask yourself, what's the ultimate fear of man? It's death. It is death. But what's the Bible tell us? That Jesus beat death, that he defeated the grave, that he conquered the grave. It couldn't hold him. So if our joy is in that, then shouldn't we have an everlasting joy that can take us through any trial, through any sorrow, through any situation? If your joy is found in him, you have nothing to fear. Verses 23 to 24, and then we're going to knock out this last section. But if you see those two verses, 23 and 24, saying, whatever you ask Him, my name, he will give to you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. This is a promise from Jesus, but as I'm sure most of you know, it's a promise that I believe gets taken out of context all too often. Does this promise mean that God has to give me whatever I want and whatever I pray for? No, absolutely not. I'm so thankful he doesn't because I'd be in a real bad situation if he did. Jesus gives us a clear stipulation or a clear guideline here in his promise. In both 23 and 24, he says we must ask in his name. So this automatically rules out the prosperity gospel. This automatically rules out my best life now. This is spreading so fast and sadly all over the world by verses like this that are taken out of context. But if you look at it, Jesus' promises, the Father will answer every request made in his name. In his name means that we are doing something that Jesus commanded to be done. We are talking about prayer, not for your comfort, but for his kingdom, okay? Jesus is saying, I will answer your prayers when you pray for the advancement of my kingdom, not for the establishment of your own kingdom. So this morning, let me ask you, how are you praying? Is it a task for you? Is it a burden for you? Does your heart match your prayers? Do you believe your prayers? Listen, I pray a lot. And I know in my head that God can do anything. I hate when we put God in a box. We should never do that. But I'm guilty of that. When I'm saying, do you realize how many things would have to fall in place? Do you realize how many things would have to fall in line? A, B, C, D, E, if this prayer was to be answered? And I'm like, why am I questioning him? I'm guilty of that. Does your heart match your prayers? Sometimes the best thing we can do is get away from our head knowledge and just trust with our heart the Word of God and what it says and its promises. Do you believe that Christ will answer your prayers? Or are you just throwing up those requests because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian? Are you just going through those motions? It can be easy. Prayer should be joyful. Prayer should be a delight that we have direct communication with the creator of this universe. Anywhere we're at, that we don't have to be at an altar or in a church building. Wherever we're at, we can talk to the very one who puts the breath in our lungs. That's an amazing thing. Prayer is how we commune with Jesus. And that communion with Jesus is where we will find joy. The disciples' sorrow turns to joy when they're reunited with Jesus. When they're in his presence again. After Christ's ascension to heaven, prayer is the way to be in his presence. To remain in Jesus happens when his words remain in us. He talks about that in the previous chapter in John 15. And when we respond to him in prayer. So we must pray, not out of duty, but out of necessity. Prayer gives us the power to do what we're called to do. We're called to live holy lives. We cannot do that apart from prayer. We cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit in us and we cannot do that apart from the word of God. No matter our best intentions, no matter how much sincerity we have doing those things, apart from those things, we will always fail. It's not possible on our own. A lack of prayer brings a lack of power, which brings a lack of joy. In these last verses, Jesus reminds his disciples that they now have access to the Father. This morning, you now have access to the Father. You don't have to go through a a priest or or a prayer ritual or anything. You have direct access to the Father. And it starts to seem that the disciples here in this last passage of Scripture that they're starting to get it a little bit more. They're finally starting to understand it, to process it. They even claim to understand what he has been teaching them but I still believe that they can't fully grasp the meaning of his promised resurrection. They've heard it, but they can't fully wrap their heads around it. But they do say, now we are sure by this we believe in verse 30. Listen, this is an ongoing daily process as they continue to grow in their trust, as they continue to grow in their faith, as they continue to grow in their obedience. In this last section, Jesus uses the title father six times in these last few verses. But what it comes down to is, it is sin that destroyed the relationship with the Father. But in just hours from now, Jesus is going to take care of that separation problem. Jesus came and took away the sin of the world. Jesus was made sin for us. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians. He was separated from the Father at that moment. Jesus was alone for the first time so that we might never be alone. He emptied himself, he became his creation so that we might never be forsaken if we put our trust in him. And verse 33 is the summary and honestly the climax of this upper room discussion that Jesus is having with the disciples. If you look at that real quick, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The purpose of this message is so the disciples can have peace in a world of tribulation. He knows what they're about to mentally and physically walk through. They can have peace when everything feels like it's falling apart in their lives. Everything that they've done for the last three years, everything that they've given up for the last three years, when it feels like it was all worth nothing, they can have peace. In Christ there is peace. In the world there is tribulation. And this is the position we have to take, that we are in Christ and because of that we can overcome the world in all its hatred. The world looks at us now and says, listen, if you don't love these people, if you don't do these things, if you don't accept these types of ways, then you're the one that's full of hatred. We should love everybody regardless of what they look, in, look like, what they follow, what they believe in. But that's different than accepting and condoning that lifestyle. Right now, Christians are the ones that are hated because we don't accept these things because we're standing up for what the word of God says and not what the world says. Listen, when we put that faith in Jesus and not the things of this world, we can find joy in the middle of the sorrow. Sin is the root of our unhappiness. I hope you realize that. Sin is the root of our unhappiness. That sorrow, that depression, that anxiety, addiction, it's not very popular, but that's what we believe at Freeway, that addiction isn't a chemical problem. It's not inherited. It's a sin problem. The root of addiction is sin. I understand coming from a a house and parents that are in addiction, yeah, you have a higher chance, you have a higher probability. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the root of it, the root of it is sin. We have to look around and realize something is broken. And that's the world. For some of you, that's your relationship with God. It's broken. And the only way to reconcile that is to repent and turn to him and believe that this is the living word of God, this is true. Pastor Dustin isn't up here every Sunday preaching his opinion. He's preaching the word of God because he knows it's perfect. There's nothing mistaken about it, that it truly does give life, and it keeps you from sin when you stay in it. I'd like to go ahead and call up the worship team. Our lack of joy can be traced back to our lack of peace with God. Our lack of joy can be traced back to our lack of peace with God. The only way to have joy in this broken world is for peace with God to be restored. That peace comes when you have a true, life-giving relationship with Christ. We have to realize that in ourselves, we have nothing. But in Christ, we have everything, everything. We have all that we need. Every believer is either overcome or an overcomer. First John 5, 4 says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What is your faith in? What do you put your faith in in those seasons of sorrow? The world wants to overcome us. This is why Satan uses the world to persecute believers. Just like he did back then, he's still doing it today. This is why Satan uses the world to pressure believers into conforming to all the things the world wants us to believe in and says is right. Look at social media, it could never be more true than in time right now. They want us to conform to this image and we say no. Listen, we're not of this world, we won't conform. We're gonna stand for the word of God and we're gonna fight for it, parents husbands. Hey, it's easy just to not come home, not pay your bills, not be the husband God calls you to be. What's hard is to pay your bills, to lead your family in prayer, to bring your family to church on a Sunday, to be a man of God. That's the hard thing to do, but you can't do that with Christ. Father, standing up for your daughters in the time right now, that's just so sad and hard. You can overcome it through Christ with a heart that points towards Christ too. The world says it's okay, it's not that bad, just conform to these ideas. The world wants us to conform, it doesn't want us to be different. But when we surrender everything to Christ and when we trust in Him, we should look completely different, completely different. Listen, He enables us, He gives us the power to be overcomers. Our victory is in Christ. We can and we will find joy when we allow God to transform our sorrow into joy. If You guys like to stand with me? We're gonna close out in a song of worship. Again, it was a privilege and honor to be here with you guys this morning OBC. And I just asked during this time, as we open up the altars, we're gonna have an altar call. Um, this is something we do every Saturday night. I, I tell our people, you understand a lot of people from Freeway are, are unchurched. We tell them, listen, altars are where things come to die. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the place they took to come lay it down A lot of times, though, when we go to the altar, whatever we lay down, we seem to pick it right back up and take it with us and walk out the door with it. We don't truly lay it down. I ask him, would you carry dead things around with you all day? No, lay it down here at the altar. Listen, there's some of you that just came out of a, a season of sorrow. Maybe you need to come up here and you just need to celebrate and thank God, knowing that he is the only reason you got through it. And you know that, biblical community, that you have brothers and sisters in Christ, how amazing that is. I didn't grow up with a super strong family and then I became a part of a church. I had grandmas and grandpas and dads and people in my life that I've never had before because of the local church. That's a beautiful thing. Some of you are in that sorrow and I understand that it's not easy. And you hear stuff like this and you're like, yeah, that stuff doesn't happen to me though. I'm telling you, the word of God says it and it is true. You just need to come up here and pray. Ask your brother or sister to come pray with you. We just, I wanna open these altars and, and encourage you guys just to, come down here and be able to have that prayer and talk to God as you wrestle through these things. If you're sitting here and you don't have that testimony and you've been the one that's put your hope, your trust, your faith in the world this whole entire time, listen, don't leave today without making the decision here. The most important decision you'll ever make, it it is an eternal decision. Bow your head as we pray and we're going to worship. Dear Lord, we thank you. Um, I thank you for OBC. I thank you for this church. Like I said earlier, I, I thank you For its heart for the lost lord i ask that you just do a mighty work here today that you surprise us that um you get all the glory though you get all the credit we're not here to make any church name great any ministry name great any man's name great besides you and you alone lord i know it it can be scary coming down getting out of the middle of an aisle coming to the altar especially in front of other people worrying about what other people are going to think lord i ask you clear those fears those worries those distractions lord And um, I actually just love these altars with people that want to cry out and praise you and ask things of you and trust you, Lord. We thank you so much for this opportunity. The freedom that we have, we can just gather here openly on a Sunday morning. Thank you for that. Don't let us take it for granted. In your precious name we pray. Amen.